All right. Hey, uh, good morning again. So I, this is, um, whew, okay. I'm, I'm going to do something this morning that, uh, that I've never done before. I think, I don't think I've ever done this before anyway. And, uh, and, and there's something else that I haven't done in, in, in I don't know, 10 or, or 12 years, or I think. Um, I, I have, uh, I, I virtually have, have no uh, notes uh, for the message today. So good luck, everybody. <laughs> uh, good luck. Good luck following along. Um, so, I, but I, I'm, I'm, I, I, was, I was nervous about sharing this because, again, you know, I typically like manuscript out the messages and then I add extra stuff and, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not doing that today. <laughs> So I'm a little nervous uh, about that, but, but I'm over there and I'm watching the service. So we had one of our uh, band members, Jared, uh, wasn't able to make it this morning. And uh, so the band comes in and, and they, they switched. I think the first three songs, they, they switched out um, and, uh, and, and did them on the fly. So good, good job, band, way to go. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm sitting over there and I'm listening to these brand new songs that they just picked. Now, we're starting a new message series today, and, and the band, like, they kind of had an idea, like, they knew what the title was, but, um, but that was really all that they, that they had. Tristan was um, picking songs. I think they were all working, like, what can we play without Jared here? Um, and, man, I've just got to tell you that the, the songs, uh, I Will Follow especially, and then, um, and then Kevin's com- communion talk, um, and, and, then, uh, and then the last song we sang, Oh, How He Loves, I'm, I'm just like, oh, God, like, okay, like, he just orchestrated all of the things um, to, to work out, I, I think, just um, perfectly. Uh, and so, um, anyway, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into this, and, and listen, hold on, okay, just hold on, <laughs> hold on tight. God, thank you uh, just for today, and thanks for loving us and being present with us and, and, and present with, with me. I just ask that your spirit would help me communicate the things that you've laid on my heart um, this week and, and, um, and to do that in the, in the manner that you have. And so help me not to forget anything and uh, to remember. And, and God, just thank you for your overwhelming love for us, a love that, man, that, that, that not only calls us, calls us to your son Jesus, but then compels us uh, to live a life that, that looks like his. And so today, Father, I, I know that you've brought each and every person here, both um, those in person and those maybe who are turning, tuning in o- online, even just now, like you're in the midst of that, you're, you're working in our lives through that and, and bringing us together, and so I thank you for that, and just ask that you would speak to your people exactly what they need to hear each and every one um, this morning as we as we dig into your word. And so, um, thank you, God, for for loving us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, uh, so we're kicking off a, a new series today called Coffee Mug Christianity, and and the idea of this um, series is there's a lot of verses in the Bible that that we kind of we take out and we slap onto like a, a coffee mug or we make a, a meme or a post or something and they sound really good um the the problem is that sometimes we we have a tendency to kind of take those verses out of the context in which they were shared 
or the verse maybe was about a specific thing, a situation, or a person, and we try to make that fit our situation or, or each of us as a person. And so we, we, we can kind of cherry pick these verses, and they sound good, but, but listen, if we use the word of God out of context, number one, we're, we're not being authentic, we're not being truthful with the word of God, and, and number two, um, God's word doesn't, act, you've heard me say before, God is not a genie in the Bible, right? We, we can't just quote a verse that, that we know or that we remember or we've seen somewhere and expect God to go, ooh, like he perks his ears, ooh, that somebody just quoted a scripture. And it's completely out of context and it has nothing to do with their situation, but now I'm compelled to act on their behalf. And so we have this idea that we can just kind of share these things or say these things but if they're not accurate, if they're not honest with the text, like, they, they don't work. And so we get this false sense of um, spirituality. We get this false sense of um, self-righteousness because we, like, know these verses. But, but if we take them out of context and we use them in a way that they're not, that they weren't intended, like, we're, we, we really aren't any better than the Pharisees that Jesus had such a struggle with. Um, during his life and, and, and ministry. So over this um, series, we're going to look at a, a, a number of passages. And, and this series is going to be different because, um, like, we're doing the first one today. Next week, we have a, a guest speaker. And so I really hope that, like, Phil um, Claycomb is going to be here from Nexus uh, Church Planning. He's going to share one of the Psalms. I, I, let, me, let me tell you this. For those of you joining us online, you will never hear... You will never hear another person share about the Psalms. Like, it, it's like Phil was there when it was written. The way that he shares it and the understanding he has um, is incredible. Now, he probably won't tell you this, um, but he spent something like five to seven years pouring through the Psalm. He, he, he wouldn't say it, but he basically has... All hundred and whatever many are there, 144 some psalms. He basically has them memorized. Like the dude just knows them and he will share that with you in a way. I mean, I'm, you will not be able to take notes. You will, you will just sit there like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. This is fantastic. So make sure you're here next Sunday. So we're kicking off the series today. Next Sunday, Phil will be here. Then we're going to hit um, parts two and three of the series. Then we're going to start another series and then we're going to end this one um, in June. So we're going to break it up through the summer uh, kind of in between other things that, that we're doing, just because I've, I've, I've wanted to kind of have some things um, together. So in this series, we're going to cover passages like Philippians 3, where it talks about how we're saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. And, and there, there's some misunderstanding about that passage. We're going to talk about that. We're going we're to look at Jeremiah 29, 11. And you probably know that one because there have like, been books written about it. It's a meme. It's on Facebook all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, uh, plans to prosper you and give you a future and not to harm you. And uh, that one gets thrown around all the time. And so we're going to take a look at that one week. And then um, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, where it talks about don't judge or you'll be judged. And, and we totally misrepresent and misuse that one. So we're going to look at that one. But today, we're going to kick off with maybe the most well-known verse um, in the whole Bible, if you go to any sporting event, somebody at that sporting event is going to hold a sign that has this verse on it. Do you know which one it is? John 3.16. That's right. 
So we're going to look at John 3.16 today, and you're going to go, ah, I know John 3.16. Like, I'm going to tune out. Um, l- l- listen, it, you don't know it, okay? <laughs> if you've seen it and you've read it, you, you, don't, you don't know it. And we're going to look at it um, really in depth today. So I'm not going to put it up on the, on the screen this morning, um, and, uh, and, and, but, but hopefully you know it. If you don't know it, listen to those around, like just move your lips and nobody will, nobody will know. But what we're going to do to start out with is we're just going to quote John 3.16 together, okay? So if, if you know it, just say it. If you don't, move your lips. It'll be fine. You'll, you'll get it. It's pretty easy. And, and probably if you go, oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed. I don't know that one. Once we start saying it, you'll go, oh, I know that. <laughs> Because you've heard it, you've seen it somewhere along your life. Um, even if you've never been to church before, you probably know this one. Um, okay, so let's, let's say it together. Don't be shy. And if you're sitting at home from your couch or your jammies or whatever, you can say it along uh, with it. So it starts out this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Good job. Okay. We all know that verse, or most of us know that verse, but what we don't necessarily know is what happens before and after that verse. What's going on? What's the context of Jesus sharing that verse? Like, Jesus is the one who actually said those words, but but we don't typically pay attention to what was going on before that. What's the occasion of him sharing this important passage that has been um, held up and shared, and Tim Tebow wrote it on his under-eye black, and and, and so, what is it about this, this verse, and what's happening, what leads up to this verse? That's part of what we're going to look at today. Um, the group of people that Jesus had the most problem with in his life and ministry, in the three and a half years of his ministry, we would typically think that it was probably, um, you, you know, sinners, bad people, whatever, like troublemakers, evil, demonic people. Those were Jesus' primary, um, like, opponents or whatever in in Scripture. But that's not the case at all. Um, Jesus' primary opponent was not evil, bad people. It was the really super religious people. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the members of the Sanhedrin, the people who had studied the Word of God, the Old Testament, um, the Torah, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, Uh, That was the Pharisees. These guys knew the Bible, at least the Bible that they had. They knew it almost by heart. And you could mention a part of a verse, and they would immediately know what you're talking about. In fact, there's several places in the New Testament where Jesus shares a little bit, like he's praying or he's talking. and, And over and over, he mentions just a couple words from an Old Testament passage. And these people would have just known it. They would have picked up on it like they had the stories memorized. The problem is they missed the point of the story. They knew the the word, they knew the letter of the text, but they missed the point of the stories. And so that's part of the reason that Jesus talks in parables, right? He says, I'm sharing these stories in a way that if you want to know what they mean, you're going to open your mind and you're going to listen and you're going to see and you're going to be able to perceive it. But if you're closed-minded like the religious leaders, you're not going to see it. And you're, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to get it. Jesus had a lot of problem with the Pharisees. But there was one um, Pharisee, there was actually a, a couple of them, who we might say were kind of on the edge. They were walking a tightrope between um, the religious uh, elite of their day, the group that they were a part of, 
and really recognizing that Jesus was doing things that were completely unparalleled. And, and one of those guys was this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus um, was a, a teacher of teachers. So he was pretty high up in the group of Pharisees. And, and the text says, John chapter 3, um, in the beginning of that chapter, it says that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he comes to Jesus at, at night because he doesn't want anybody else to know that he's there. Because Nicodemus understands. Like, he's amassed a lot of money, a lot of power. He has great position. Like, the, the religious leaders, the spiritual elite, they weren't just leaders in the church. They were political leaders, and they had incredible political influence. And so Nicodemus, he sat at the best tables, and he went to the best parties, and he was invited to the best places. And, and so he goes at night because he realizes, if anybody sees me talking to this guy, Jesus, who the religious leaders believed was a, a blasphemous heretic, like, don't listen to anything he says. If any of my friends, my peers, see that I'm talking to this guy, I'm going to lose my money, I'm going to lose my power, I'm going to lose my position. And so Nicodemus is kind of taking his life into his own hands, and he comes to Jesus at night. And here's how he starts out in, uh, in, in John chapter 3. He starts out uh, uh, like this. Rabbi, he says, which is interesting because um, Nicodemus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. And yet he gives that title to Jesus, Rabbi. He says, we, we know, we know, the religious leaders, like we all know that you're a teacher sent from God. And we know that because nobody could do the things that you do unless God was with him. Now that's a pretty bold statement. Like that's a big thing. Like we understand that, that you are connected to God in some way that, that we, we can't figure out. So Jesus re responds to him. And it's really interesting because Jesus is always dealing with us, each and every one of us. He's dealing with, with a couple things. He's always drawing us to himself, right, and pointing us to the Father. Drawing us to himself and pointing us to the Father. But the other thing he's always doing is he's always trying to reveal the authority figures in our lives. Where does our authority come from? Now, 99 out of 100 times, you know where our authority comes from? Me. I'm my authority. I'm the king of my castle. I'm the one that makes my own decisions. I decide my life and the way I'm going, and, and I do that. And so Jesus is always trying to reveal what authority, where is your authority? Is that yourself? Is it somebody else? Does it come from something else? And so Jesus wants to bring us along and he, and he wants to deal with who the authority is in our life. And so Jesus says this to Nicodemus. Um, he says, listen, Nicodemus, um, I appreciate what you had to say to me. I'm paraphrasing, okay? Appreciate what you had to say to me. Appreciate that you recognize um, who I am. But he says, look, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus thinks that's as strange as we think it sounds. And so Nicodemus' response to that is, Jesus, what are you talking about? How can a full-grown man enter again into his mother's womb? And Jesus is like, oh, Nicodemus, you don't get it. Okay, unless a, a man is born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Okay. What Jesus was saying in that text was to, to Nicodemus was, was really like this. Nicodemus, if you are not willing to give up everything that you have collected and amassed in this life, if you're not willing to give up your money and your power and your position and 
um, like you're held in high esteem by people, if you're not willing to give up the things in this world that you have accumulated, you will never be able to enter the kingdom of God, the other world. Nicodemus, if you're tied to this world so tightly, unless you let go of that, you'll never be able to enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't really get it. And so Jesus just continues. And there's a whole section that Nicodemus would have understood. And we could talk about it maybe later if you have more questions. But Jesus um, really says uh, uh, of himself, he says, look, Nicodemus, you remember how Moses um, made the bronze serpent and lifted it up on a pole when the snakes were coming into the Israelite camp and it was killing people. And you marched the pole, Moses marched the pole back and forth. And anybody who looked at the serpent, who believed that the serpent could heal them, uh, this bronze serpent on a pole, they were, they were healed and they didn't die from the snake bite. He says, in the same way that, that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the son of man, I will be lifted up. And everybody who believes in me, who trusts in me, will not die. That's um, John 3, 14, 15. And then we get to John 3, 16. And, and Jesus starts out... Um, like this whoops he starts out for God there's a very important reason that I think he starts out that way I think he wants us to know that he's talking about like the big guy right he wants to make sure that Nicodemus understands who it is that he's talking about that he's not talking about Buddha and he's not talking about Tao and he's, he's not talking about the gods of the Sidonians or the Amorites he's not talking about um, Molech, he's not talking about Dagon, the, the God of the Philistines, he's talking about God. And the God that he's talking about, uh, Nicodemus would have understood, um, comes from Genesis 1 1. Do you remember what that says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters of the deep. And so when he says God, he's talking about creator and what happens if you create something whose is it it's yours right if you create something it's it's yours and so Jesus is saying look for God and this God is the creator um Paul would later say in Ephesians um, 4 6 I believe it is he would say that there is one God and that he is over, through, and in all. And so Jesus says, this is the God that we're talking about. We're talking about the creator, and if he's the creator, he owns it all. We're talking about the God who not only created it, but he is over it all. Like he oversees everything. Like there's nothing outside of what he sees and what he controls. And he's not just over it. He's through it. He's working in it. He's involved in what's going on. And so nothing happens without God knowing about it. And then finally, he says he is in all. He is functioning in everything that happens. And we often think that we're going off on our own and we're doing our own thing and we're plotting our own course and we're setting our own way. But God is involved in it. There's nothing that you will ever do that God is not involved in. That's a little scary. 
Because when we're in the dark room and we're doing things that we know we shouldn't do, guess who's over and through and in all of that mess? God's right there. There is no place we can go, the scripture says, there is no place that we can go that God is not present. In that moment, not just in our lives, but in everything. Now, we've got to go, for God, that's how Jesus starts, um, for God, and then he uses the word so. Now, this is, this is so good, right? Because, look, how do we use the word so? Typically, we would say, like, I would say, my wife is so beautiful. And we would use the word so to mean very or great. My, my wife is very beautiful. And typically, the way we read this verse is we go, for God greatly loved the world. For God very much loved the world. For God overwhelmingly loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? And it makes this idea that the world was so important to God that he needed to own it or possess it or have it. And so he was willing to give up something that was really important to him in order to get the world. But, but Paul said already, and, 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 and Moses said already, God created it. He's over it, he's through it, he's in it. God owns it all. So he doesn't have to possess the world. He already possesses the world. He doesn't have to get it. He didn't give Jesus in order to get the world. That's not the way it is. And so we typically read that. For God very much loved the world that he gave his only son. But there's another word that that Greek word, there's another way that Greek word could be translated. And I think it matches better what's going on in the text. So the first way is, um, we might say, very. But the other way that we translate this is thus. Or, in this manner. Now listen to how it changes. We might say it this way. For God demonstrated his love for the world in this manner. God demonstrated his love for the world like this. He gave his only son. Does that change the meaning a little bit? All of a sudden, we're, 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 like, we're not going, oh, God loved the world so much that he wanted to possess it and he needed it and he didn't have it and so he gave his son to get it. We go, no, that's not it at all. God loved the world so much that he gave. He gave an example. He showed us how much he loved the world by doing something he didn't have to do. He already owned the world. He didn't have to send his son. And so he was sending his son as an example of his love. You get it? Does that make sense? Okay, good. If it doesn't, eh, you talk to me later. All right. For God so, and then the next word in the verse is loved. And here's how we're going to represent love. That's a heart. For God so loved. And we know that God loves, right? God loves. It's part of his character. It's who he is. It's what he does. He can't do anything that's not love. Now, don't get, don't, don't get crossways here, okay? Because you've got to understand this. Because we often think that if God loves us so much, why does he let anything bad happen in our lives? Why does your parent let anything bad happen? Why doesn't your parent protect you from everything that ever happens? If a parent loves you, they're going to go, look, 
If I protect my child all the time from everything, they will not be prepared for what the world is going to give them later. A parent who loves and doesn't discipline is not a parent who loves. It's a parent who's lazy. Woo. <laughs> that just came out. Okay, I didn't plan that, but I'm going to patent that real quick. A parent who loves and doesn't discipline is, just, is a parent who's, who's lazy. That is not love. And so God loves completely. Okay, we got to move on from love. So God loved. What did he love? He loved the world. Okay, my wife says, I have terrible handwriting. That's a W. Okay. <laughs> God loved the world. And the question is, which world did, did he love? Because there's more than one world. Do you ever see a perfecter circle than that? Yeah. I've been practicing that. God loved, God loved the world. But there's more than one world. And so there's the, there's the first world, which we talked about already in Genesis 1-1. God created the world. And when he created the world, it was perfect, right? And he created everything, sun and moon and stars. He separated the land from the water, and he, and he caused the rain, and, and, he, and he made man and woman, and he put them in the, in the garden, and everything was perfect. And In fact, we could go to Genesis 1-31. And it says, at the end of all the seven days of creation, God looked at all he cre had created and he said, he said, it was so good. Except they didn't translate so, so, they translated it very. God looked at it and it was very good. And so the first world that we talk about might be this good world that God created. But, but what happened? Like that's not the world that we live in right now, right? That's not the existence that we have in this perfect partnership with our creator. That's not the world that we live in. No, we had to blow it because we sinned. And, and we can call this sin sometimes rebellion. And so humanity rebelled against God's perfect world. Even though they only had one rule, like don't eat the fruit from the, in the center of the garden. And they couldn't even keep that law. And they broke it and they sinned. And so they created another world. Man, I'm good at circles. They created an, another world. But instead of peace and, and, and love and all of those things in this world, it was hostile. Right? People were hostile to each other. Cain killed his brother Abel, and it just got worse from there. And so what we find in this world is brokenness. And we go, but, but, but wait a minute, okay, Adam and Eve sinned, and then their sin affects me. No, no, Romans says, for all have sinned. And we all have that sickness. For all have sinned and fallen short of, of the glory of God. I'm guilty, you're guilty, everybody else is guilty. We're all in the same boat. And we're all stuck in this hostile, broken world. And we try to get out. We try to get out of this world. And, and so we think that um, maybe money might 
might get us out. And so we try to amass as much money as we can. We build our 401ks and we work on all these things. And maybe you got Bitcoin and all that stuff. Or we, we might try sex or drugs to get out. And we want to escape the hostility and the brokenness of the world. And we can't take it anymore. And we try to, we try to get out. Or maybe we might chase power or stuff. But what happens? You amass a lot of money and it sounds really good, but then the stock market crashes or the housing bubble bursts and you lose it all and you're yanked back into the brokenness of this world. You tried the sex and the drugs, but all you got was disease and burned out and half your mind's gone and all your money's gone and your family doesn't care about you anymore and you're yanked right back into the brokenness and the hostility and the sickness of our world. You tried power. But the same people that you stepped on to get where you are are now stepping on you. And you get yanked right back in. You tried stuff and you had the boat and the house and the cars and all of that kind of things. But they rusted and they broke and they fell apart. And technology changed and you get yanked right back in to this world. And so what, what happens in this um, world of brokenness and sickness is that it leads ultimately to death. And so we go, which, which world did God love? God so loved the world. Well, we got to look at the next part. It says that he gave his son. Well, he wouldn't have to give his son for the perfect world, right? Because that's perfect. He had to give his son for the hostile and, and, and broken and sick world. And so God did just that. He gave his son. Wait a minute. Okay, here we go. Bam. We know that his son's name is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so his son came, right? He came to this world. And, and what, did he, what did he do? This is, you're going to really like my drawing here. Looks exactly like a book, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, good. Jesus came and he taught and he, and he lived. And he taught and lived like somebody who had a relationship with God. He lived in a different way than anybody else had ever lived before. And so he came and what he did was he revealed who God was to us. And he taught us from the Old Testament scripture how to live a new life. And, and so he said things like in Mark. 1, 14 to 17, where he said this, in Mark 1, 14 to 17, it says that Jesus came proclaiming or preaching the good news of God or the gospel of God. And this is what the gospel he said was. He came preaching that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. With Jesus, the kingdom of God has been established over all of his creation. And then he said that our response to the kingdom coming is that we need to repent and to believe. That's a pretty important thing that he taught, right? But, but then he, go, he goes on. And in Mark... 
8, 31 and 34, he, he continues. And he says, look, it, it's, it's not just um, the kingdom of God has come, but the kingdom of God is represented by a crucified king. Now, now that was completely foreign to them, right? Because if a king dies, the kingdom is over, and a new king and a new kingdom arise, and the kingdom changes. And so the disciples couldn't understand that. And that's why they kind of fought uh, against him. But he said, no, 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 look, the kingdom of God is going to be different than other kingdoms. The kingdom of God is going to focus on a crucified king. That's really strange because Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher sent from God because nobody could do the miracles that you do except for God. And then what does Nicodemus' people do just a short time later? They crucify Jesus. You know why they crucified him? Because they couldn't let go of the stuff in the world that they had amassed. They couldn't let go of their power and their position and their money and their fame and their importance in the world. They couldn't let go of that and be born again in a new world, in a spirit world. And so they held on to the hostility and the brokenness and the sickness of this world. And because of that hostility, they killed the Son of God. But thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story. Mark 8, 31. Whoops. Mark 8, 31. Okay. That's a tomb. All right. You get that? There's a stone and a tomb. Kevin talked about that earlier. Mark 8, 31 says that Jesus is not just the crucified king, but he's the resurrected king. That the king would die... And three days later, he would be raised to life. Now, a king who dies is no longer a king. But a king who comes back to life is not only king of the living, he's also the king of the dead. And so Jesus is the king. And when he came back to life, he did something very important. He conquered death. He becomes the ruler of it. He's in charge of it. He's over it and through it and, and, and in it, and it no longer holds any power over him. And then in Mark 8, 34, he, he says this. He says, you're going to follow, uh, or the king of the kingdom is, um, is a crucified king, and he's a resurrected king, and your response to that is to take up your own cross and to follow Here's where it gets fun. For God loved the world in this manner. He gave his only son. That whoever believes, believes right here. Whoever from this hostile world believes in Jesus. Whoever believes not just a mental ascent right but like you had to turn and look at the bronze serpent up on the pole in order to be you had to believe that looking at the image of a snake that just bit you looking at the image of the snake would save you and Jesus says it's just like that you can't just make a mental ascent that Jesus is God's king you actually have to look at him you have to realize that if you have to turn to him in in faith you have to believe that he came, and whoever believes 
get this, will not die, right? Will not die in this hostile world, but will get life. Okay. We've been talking um, this year about the gospel and what really is the, the gospel of, of God. What did Jesus come to proclaim? What's the gospel? Because we got to believe. we got to know what it is in order to believe it and have it change our mind. So, so look at this. The first thing we know about the gospel is that it's a kingdom of God. That's the first thing. And, and the second thing is that Jesus is the king. And, our, uh, uh, and then, not only is he the king... But, but this was really strange. He's the crucified king, and he's the resurrected king. And our response to that is important, right? Because there has to be, like, Jesus the king, God is over it all. It's his kingdom. There's a response. we got to know what to do next. And so our response is to repent and believe and follow. And Jesus says that when we, when we follow, here's what we do. Jesus was sent to this world we surrender we take up our cross daily and we follow him so we look like Jesus in the world and and, and whoever believes this is how um, this is how we, we say it. Uh, our goal here at Real Life is to help every person possible find real life by making present the kingdom of God in the broken, hostile, sin-sick world in which we live. So we want to help every person possible from this world find real life in Jesus and then look more like him every day by surrendering our lives to the king. By living in the hostile, sin-sick, broken world as though Jesus is the king and we're in this good world. We make present the good life of God and life in the world as God created it. We make present that life and that world in our world by living out the things that God told us to do. By repenting and believing and following him. By taking up our cross daily and, and following Jesus. And, and look, we gotta, we got to catch this too. Because if you look at verse 17 of John 3.16, verse 17, it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn this broken and hostile, sin-sick world, but to save it. Not to condemn it, but in, the, in order that the world might be saved through him. And so our gospel definition here at, at Real Life, you can uh, go out to the welcome table out there and pick up some cards that, that have it. Our, our gospel definition says this, Jesus the King, that's the bottom circle, 
Jesus the King died in our place and rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with the Father. That's the left-hand circle. In order that we might live our real lives, and how do we do that? We do it by the Holy Spirit's power. As we daily surrender to Jesus' reign, and we wait for his return. God demonstrated his love for the world in this, that he sent his perfect son into a hostile and broken and sin-sick world to die in our place and then to rise again, not only as our defender, but as our healer, as our king, as our leader. And that anybody who believes regardless of what you've tried before or where you've been before or what's gone on in your life or what's going on right now in your life, whoever just believes, repents, follows, will not have to die in this sin-sick world, but will be given eternal life. See, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn you for the sin that you've created. He knew you were going to do it. Everything that you've done and everything you've yet to do. God's at the top, right? It's his kingdom. He's in and through and, and over all. Like he knows what we're going to do. And so he didn't send his son to condemn us, but to save the world through him. And our part in that is to look more like Jesus every day by surrendering our lives to him going back into the world of our daily work and school and neighborhoods and whatever and looking like Jesus so we can pull more people to the king and that the kingdom of God might grow that all people might be saved. God does love you. But we often think when we look at this verse, we think, I am so important to God that I am worth the death of his son. But what that does, if I could, if I could do it, I would. What that does is it, it takes this diagram and it turns it 90 degrees to the left. And it puts us at the top of the picture. And that's not where we belong. See, one of the things Jesus did was he... He addressed our authority, where our authority comes from. And he's, he, he, he's look, look, it's not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. I, I, let, me say, let me say it this way. I did write this note. <laughs> we are part of his kingdom. We are part of God's kingdom. But God's the point. He's the point of his kingdom. It comes from him. It's through him. He's in it all. He's over it all. It's his kingdom. He appointed his son as king because he lived a perfect life. He died in our place and he rose again. He's king over all. And we get to be a part of that kingdom when we surrender to him. When we believe and we repent and we follow, we surrender our lives daily and we look more like Jesus every day. And that's our hope here. And so when you see John 3.16 somewhere, I don't want you to go, oh man, I am so wonderful. God needed me to be a part of his kingdom. I want you to be thankful and go, thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to die in my place so that I can get to be a part of your great kingdom full of love and life, 
That's where we want to be. And if you want to escape the hostile, broken world, the only way is through the king. The only way is through the king. And I hope you see that. And I hope that you never look at John 3.16 the same way again. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us so much that you gave us this example of your son. And, and then, look, you called us, Mark 8.34, you called us to take up our cross just like Jesus took up his for a world that was hostile to him and broken and sick. And you have called us into that same world. You've called us to look like your son Jesus by carrying our cross, by surrendering to you, by being obedient to you, just like Jesus, even unto death, that we might die to ourselves and we might live for you. And so God, help us to do that so that whoever believes, because they've seen Jesus in us, that whoever believes might not have to die in this sick and broken world, but might have the hope of eternal life through your son Jesus. God, we recognize Jesus is king of your kingdom. It's all yours. You created it. You sustain it. You're over it. You're through it. You're in it. And now, God, we give up our authority and we surrender our lives to you. Would you use us as you see fit? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for, for being here. Remember, next week, Phil. Turn my mic off too soon. After that, we're going to jump back in to this um, series, okay? Love you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.